Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, so if you have room, just kind of scoosh together and kind of raise your hand because there's people standing in the back and, you know. Okay, we've got a couple here, a couple here, a couple here. So if you guys need, need spots, go for it. All right, so... Um, first off, welcome to Watermark. If you've never been here, I, I lost my connection with the thing. I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah, because it's, never mind. I got it. I'm with you. We're the same. Um, there's, uh, if you, so if you're new here, um, first off, welcome. My name is Tommy, and um, I'm the pastor. And, um, and uh, so once, twice a year, I do a topical sermon, and that'd be Christmas and Easter. Um, most of the time, we go straight through the books of the Bible, and um, so it's, it's, it's always interesting when I, when I come around to like Christmas and Easter, because um, the hard thing about topical sermons is like there's, you pick a subject, and there's so many ways you could go that I'm, I'm noncommittal, and I, I can't pick a direction to go, but I did. I picked one, and um, mainly it comes from a lot of conversations I've had over the years um, about um, sort, of, sort of intellectual discussions that happen on college campuses every, every year about this time, and I see it on social media, and people start talking about December and, and, and the people who are, are you know, against the very idea of Jesus and, and deity and things like this um, kind of throw Christianity under the bus and say, you know, it's, it's taken from a pagan thing. It's not even, it doesn't even, didn't even happen in December. Jesus wasn't born in December and all this stuff. So we're actually going to talk a little bit about that today because I think there's actually some amazing things in there that if we pull this out and we look at, I think is some of the most encouraging stuff that I have ever found. Um, and so I hope, uh, sort of what I do here is I, I do a lot of kind of historical contextual things looking at first century Christianity and um, look at the, at the impact it made in that world. And I talk a lot about this stuff. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about um, this passage right here. Um, it's, it's Luke chapter 2. We're, very, we're all very familiar with it. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to sort of jump into this and talk about it, okay? It goes like this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Um, Hopefully I can pull some things out of this this morning that, that um, will help you grasp a little bit of, of what all of this is about. So let's, let's pray together. Let's ask God to talk to us and encourage us. Father, um, thank you for gathering my, my brothers and sisters here, Lord. There's, um, in, in, a, in a crowd like this, there's probably a lot of hurting people, people going through very difficult things. And um, you're the perfect one to come to. You have been through our hurt. You understand our pain. And this time of year, sometimes there's um, families that struggle. They, do, they have very difficult times because maybe their families are broken, and it's a time to remember family. Or maybe they've lost some family, and it's a time to remember family. And, and it's just very difficult. I ask that you would come alongside of us, that you would sit with us, that you would encourage us and make us um, more like you, make us more peaceful, make us more gentle and merciful and graceful. Um, Give us something tonight that we all need to hear individually. Um, teach us what it means that you came to us, that you didn't sit there and force us to come to you, that you came to where we were. And help us to grasp a bit of that tonight with maybe some context and some information that we haven't heard. So we love you, God. We, we thank you for this day, this evening. 
And uh, we praise you in here, Lord. In your name, amen. All right. So, um, if you were to go out on the streets and you were to read this passage to people, there's um, several things would probably happen. Um, first off, um, people would think of Christmas, obviously. Snow, red and green, candy canes, eggnog, the Delilah show, things like that. <laughs> that's what they would think of. Um, and, and that's fine. That's great. Um, and the second thing is that people who hear this passage, most of them actually, whether or not they're even believers in Christ, whether or not they're even Christians or have been around the Scriptures, they, they would probably be, probably be able to quote at least part of this. This is just a ubiquitous passage all throughout culture. It's just kind of everywhere. Um, <clears throat> but these words didn't always mean what they mean to people now. There was a time when these words, the people who heard these words heard something different and thought of something different and didn't think of things like Christmas. Um, there was a time when it was just sort of different. There was a, um, there was a time when, when literally none of those things would come to mind. And um, so, like I said, every year I get a lot of you know, young people, intellectual college students, whatever, they walk up and they, they say things like, um, why do we celebrate Christmas in December on the 25th? Was Jesus really born on the 25th? And, and you know, there's all these conversations about this. I've been asked this three times this week, actually. And every year I get asked this all the time. So let, let's talk about it. Why not? Um, because most Christians by now pretty well understand that Jesus was actually not born in December. And it wasn't on 25th. It wasn't even in the month of December. Um, and, and, and December 25th, that date came about by totally different circumstances. Um, I think that one's broken. Sorry. Uh, the offering box is right back there. Um, <laughs> so, perfect timing. Thank you, Mickey. Um, so, you see, and here's the interesting thing. The Jews didn't actually celebrate birthdays. We celebrate, you know, Jesus' birthday on December 25th. Um, if we were Jewish back in the day in the first century, they didn't celebrate birthdays. You don't read about birthdays in the Scriptures. Not once did Paul ever say, I'm going to Capernaum where I will celebrate my birthday and we'll move on to Judea. There, he never does anything like this. There's nobody mentions any kind of birthday in the Scriptures. Um, there, okay, so there's two birthdays actually mentioned in the Scriptures. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about them. This guy, Pharaoh. It was his birthday, and it was mentioned in Genesis chapter 40, um, and it says this, and it talks a little bit about what he did. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, woo-hoo, he made a feast for all his servants, and he hanged his chief baker. <laughs> this is how he celebrated his birthday, big powerful guy, and this is what he did. And the only other birthday mentioned in all of scriptures um, is, hold on, we're getting there, is uh, Herod Antipas. This is a coin of his, uh, a relief of, on his coin that he put out. It said, it's, in, it's in chapter Mark, and it says this, but an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles, totally normal, and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. And then you just skip ahead, it says this, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The, the birthdays were not these happy occasions in these days. They, they just, in the scriptures, they just weren't. And there's not one time where you'll see... Um, in the Jewish tradition where they were actually celebrating birthdays, which is why there's no mention of, like, the date when he was born. But there actually is. It's, it's buried in the context, and we're going to talk about that. Um, so let's talk about this December 25th thing. What is that? Why do we have this? Um, this is all going to have actual meaning in the end. Don't worry. It's going somewhere. Um, December 25th was actually this pagan feast to um, 
the, the sun god during the winter solstice. Every single year, um, the, the, the Roman sun god, they would have this huge pagan festival. Um, it, was, it, it, was, it was incredibly sinful. It was, it was not pretty at all. And so then there was em- this emperor eventually came to power named Constantine, um, who, quote-unquote, became a Christian. Um, some say he did it to appease a lot of people because he did a lot of terrible things under the name of God. But nevertheless, he claimed he was a Christian. Um, and... He didn't appreciate these pagan festivals going on on December 25th, and he wanted to come up with a way to make them about Jesus, an honorable thing to do. Um, And so he wanted to change them, and he wanted to worship Jesus instead of these pagan festivals. And so what he did was, um, you kind of look for something that you can celebrate of Jesus, and he probably noticed that there's no birthday mentioned of Jesus, so we're actually going to celebrate Jesus' birthday instead of this pagan festival. And so the people turned away from these pagan festivals and started celebrating the fact that, you know, look, over here at the pagan festivals, all kinds of sins entering into the world, but in our time, um, we're going to celebrate God entering into the world and doing good things, doing right, setting the world to rights. And it was this sort of in-your-face kind of rebellious kind of thing. And the ancient Christian movement was always pretty rebellious, and it's, it's, it's superb the way that they, that they acted a lot of times. That ichthus thing you see on the back of cars when they're cutting you off, um, that's actually an ancient Christian symbol of rebellion. Somebody would stand um, at, a, at a wall in a, in a, in a city where they, was, they were afraid they would get killed for being a Christian, and they would sort of make a line across like this, and they would stand there. And another Christian would come find them, and they would sort of come from the other side, and they would make a line and complete it and make the shape of a fish, and that's how they knew that they were Christians. It was this very rebellious kind of underground get-together thing and, and plant the kingdom of God here. And, uh, it was, it's really beautiful. It's really awesome the way it happened. Um, so this is actually why we have this December 25th date. It was this in-your-face kind of thing. So, um, and I have no problem with this, none at all. I, I, I think it's a great move. I think it's awesome. Every year, we didn't know when Jesus was born, so we, we picked a day when we'd rather do something better than what was happening. We celebrate Jesus' birthday there. Now, in addition to that, I would like you to ask yourself, so when was Jesus born? Thank you for asking that. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, and, and, and so the answer here, I think, is, is actually a, a lot of scholars, a lot of rabbis have said it's actually buried in, in the message of when Jesus was born. It's actually right in the story of, of the angels and the things that they said to the shepherds. And so um, I think, um, let's see, get my bearings, and then we're going to go. We're going to run. I'm not going full sermon like an hour and a half today, just 20 minutes, I hope, who knows. Um, so, I feel like I'm hopped up on caffeine, but I've had nothing. <laughs> so, okay, so there's two giveaways in this passage of the angel here, um, and, and so I'm going to talk about this first. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 13 says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, um, so there's shepherds in the fields watching their flocks about the time that Jesus was born, and, and you wouldn't think that this is anything special, but it actually is, um, because... Um, it has to do with, with the harvest season and the rain patterns in Judea outside of Bethlehem. The, the climate in Bethlehem is really interesting. Um, there's a place where the farmers plant all their crops in the crop fields, which um, gets about 24 inches of rain a year. A mile away from there, it's wilderness and there's no rain, literally zero inches of rain a year. And 90% of the year around Bethlehem, the shepherds are in the wilderness, and they're eating the little shrubs in the morning. We've talked about this at great length. Uh, in the morning, um, little shoots spring up, and the, the, the sheep eat them, and they follow the shepherd to where he knows where they'll be throughout the day. Um, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, this whole picture there. Um, and so 90% of the year, the shepherds have their sheep, and they're out in the wilderness. Um, the shepherds only went to the fields 
once a year. So this is actually Bethlehem. These are actual Bethlehem sheep and a Bethlehem shepherd and, and Bethlehem fields. All right, so this is the real deal. Now, um, all of these little separations are fields. They're different fields owned by different farmers. Now, um, there's this very fine dance that the people would have to do with um, commodities. The shepherds and the farmers would have to sort of very carefully have this interesting relationship on when they could do things. Um, and until the harvest came, um, the, the sheep were not allowed to set foot on the field. If one, if one of these sheep steps foot over this wall and into this field before the farmer is done pulling the last of his crops out, there's a war. They will kill the sheep and they will attack the shepherd because there's this, is this respect thing, there's this survival thing at play here. And it's been the same for 2,000 years. When Jesus was born, it was exactly the same. And they still talk about how this, this has never changed. Um, and so, but once they pull the last of the crops out of the fields, they welcome the shepherds in. The shepherds move right in. They set up their tents and they move in. And the, the, the sheep start eating what is left of the crops, what's laying on the ground. And, and um, there's, um, you know, the, the, the sheep eat what's there and they fertilize the field and everybody's happy and everybody wins and when it's all, they're all done they move on to another field that has just been harvested. So, um, it's interesting. So, so let's read this passage again. Luke 2, 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Um, ancient scholars have, have commented on how this, they were in the fields. This means something. They were not in the wilderness. They were not in the valleys. They were not up in the hills. They were in the fields. The word that is used here is farming fields. So the shepherds are in the fields. Um, and so this tells us that Jesus was born during the harvest time, uh, late September to early October. And, and so um, that's a bit of a clue there. So we can narrow it down a little bit. And so let's go a little farther. There's more things here. Um, I've put something in bold at the end of verse 10 here. Um, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, this is... This is something interesting, too, because we don't... Some of your translations will actually say all nations. Um, the ESV, they say all people. I, I don't think that's a very accurate translation because it's theologically doesn't go with the message that is being brought here. Um, this isn't just this personalized all people, every single person, everyone. There's something um, deeper going on here. Um, so... This all nations thing is pretty important. It's more than just the entire world. For the Jews, it has a theological and historical significance to them. As a matter of fact, there was a Jewish festival called the Feast of All Nations. And so the proclamation of the angels, this is a message for all nations. They had a feast called All Nations that actually was happening at the end of September, beginning of October. Um, right about the same time. Now, um, another name for the Feast of All Nations was also Sukkot. Um, and during Sukkot, there's, there's, Sukkot is a seven-day-long festival, which, which we know the sacrifices that were made for all seven days. Stay with me. This gets good, I promise. It's, it's less boring than I make it out to be. Um, so on day one, you know, 13 bulls are sacrificed. On day two, there's 12. On day three, so you move all the way down the line, all the way down to seven. If you add these up, you have 70. And there's 70 sacrifices for a reason, because in Deuteronomy, um, I believe it's 32, it says that God divided the nation up in, into... Um, God divided the world up after the flood into a certain amount of nations that, um, and he, he basically, the text says there's one for, for every um, descendant of Jacob, 70. So the ancient pre-first century Jews believed that there was 70 nations in the entire world. And 
when this command to offer these sacrifices and celebrate the Feast of All Nations, Sukkot, when this command was given to them, they, they were, there were, to their knowledge, 70 nations on the earth. And so they offered 70 sacrifices. Think about that. One for every nation on the earth. They did believe more than you think that their God wants to save everyone, that he is for everyone, that he wants everyone to know him, that he wants everyone to experience salvation. They, were offered, they offered a sacrifice of one bull for every nation on the face of the earth. The feast of all nations. You understand? You're following? So the last thing in this song is, is, um, is the bit that, that we kind of hear, we know the most, that we put all over ugly Christmas sweaters, the word joy. Um, I bring you good news of great joy. Um, I bring you good tidings of great joy, depending on what version you're reading. <clears throat> and this is, this is also interesting as well, because the very last day of the festival... The priest would come out after all 70 sacrifices have been offered, one for each nation in the world. The priest would come out and perform what's called the water libation ceremony. He would, it would be accompanied by singing, dancing, and passionate joy and laughter because the sacrifices for the world had been offered and they knew God could save them. And, and so the priest would come out and he would start drawing water out of a well and he would hold up the cup of water. And they would thank God for the water. And they would ask God, you know, they just had the harvest and they're planting again. And they would ask God for water in the new season to water the crops so that they could live. And it's more than that because it also had theological significance. There's actually one place where Jesus walks into the temple during this celebration, during the feast of, of Sukkot. And he actually stands up and he says, I am the living water. And he who drinks from me will no longer thirst. This is... This is big. This meant a lot to them. This wasn't just about water. Okay, so during this ceremony, worshipers would shout and they would sing. They would blow trumpets. They would beat drums and they would gather around the wells and they would all start pulling water out of the wells and they would, they would praise God and, and, and lift up the water and thank God for the water because it was the lifeblood of everything that they knew. And so there's this, there's this ancient rabbi who said this, anyone who has not seen Simshat Beit HaShoveh, which is the, the water drawing ceremony, has never seen joy in all of his life. Apparently, Probably all of us have never seen joy in our life because apparently it's there and it's awesome. And so apparently this is a good time. And, and this season was actually come to be called the season of our joy. They called it the season of our joy. We call it fall. Not quite as, not quite as fun. So we should change the name. Winter, spring, summer, season of our joy. Because eggnog's out, all right? Um, so season of our joy, that's what they used to call it. So... The entire season was this amazing time that they looked forward to all year and that they loved. And so Isaiah actually wrote about this, and he says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Are you seeing the theme here? Shout and sing for joy. O oh, inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This was obviously a lot of fun. And they obviously had this, this joyful reverence for God that they celebrated throughout the year. And it, it, it sounds amazing. So um, the rabbis also used to talk about um, that the words that the angels actually spoke um, this has been mentioned a little after the first century, and they, they talk about how these songs that they would sing, two of them actually mention a couple of the things that the angels said. That this thing that, that 
the angel appeared to them and was singing, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all nations. They say that this was actually a Sukkot song. And I love to think about this because, um, I, you know, I don't know how incredibly accurate that is, but if that was a song, I, I picture in my mind, it runs away with me, and I picture the, the, um, the, the shepherds standing in the fields and they're watching their flocks and they're singing maybe the songs about good tidings and great joy and all of a sudden an angel appears. He says, well, I, get, I have something for you. There's something you need to know. There's something very important going on right over that hill. And I bring you good tidings. I bring you great joy. And I bring you something for all the nations, just like you're singing about. And the angel sort of joins in the song. And I think that's amazing. And I love to think about that. Um, because the birth of Jesus had, had this theological meaning that in light of the time that it was happening, it kind of changes some things. It kind of gives us a little more perspective about what was going on. Um, so there's one more thing that was going on um, through all of this, because this festival, we know it is, it's during the season of our joy. It's a festival for all nations, and it's called Sukkot. Now, there's the last thing about Sukkot, and, and the most important thing. If you ask any um, Messianic Jew, um, traditional Jew, you ask them, what, is, what do you do on Sukkot? And they tell you, well, we build what's called a sukkah. A sukkah is a simple hut. It's made out of things that you would gather around the yard. Um, they would, the people would go outside and they would just go out into the wilderness and they would pick up things and they would come back and they would build these huts. And, you know, there's not a lot of regulation because, again, they're made out of sticks and palm leaves. But, but there was a couple. You, you had to be able to see at least one star through the top. Um, you, you, um, it, it couldn't be made, again, of, like, milled lumber or any kind of thing like this. Um, and, and the point was, and they would live in it for seven days. And if you couldn't if you were maybe ill or crippled or, or, or a little older and you couldn't sleep in the, Sukkot for seven day, in the sukkah for seven days, you would at least eat one or two meals a day. And people still do this today. You'll see um, in Israel apartment buildings um, going into the sky, and off the side people will build little Sukkots on the side of their apartment up in the sky. It's amazing. Um, and so the point was you sit sort of in this rickety booth, and you're peeking up at the sky through the branches, and you're feeling the wind blowing through the walls, and you, you see maybe the moon through the top of it, through the cracks in the roof, and, and it's, it's a little breezy. It doesn't feel completely safe. It might not hold up, but it's things that God gave you for shelter. And as they sit there, they think about how God led them through the wilderness and took care of them and fed them only from what they found, what, what God would leave there for them. And so there's this sort of paradox. In, the same, in, in, one, in one sense, you're thankful for just the things God has laid around for you to take and, and cover yourself with. And on the other hand, you're kind of also intently relying on God because you're exposed to the elements at the same time. So there's, there's this interesting mindset going on. It's really quite beautiful. And, and so you get a sense of what it's like to follow God, both in security and, and, and blessings at the same time. And everything that, that is sheltering you and feeding you came from God's earth, but it's a symbol of his provision. So the word sukkah itself is used several different ways. In the scriptures, it, it describes several different things. It, it always is talking about a hut, but these things were actually built for other purposes as well and used for different things. We know in Genesis chapter 33, uh, Jacob built sukkahs for his donkeys. He, he had a couple donkeys, and he wanted to shelter them for the evening, so he made, it literally says, sukkah. Um, but Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths, sukkahs, for his livestock, and therefore the name of the place is called Sukkoth. Um, and so apparently... 
A lot of these sukkahs that you would see around had animals in them. And they probably had maybe some hay. They probably had maybe a manger or two. Something to feed the livestock with. And at some point, you listen to what the angels are saying. You look at the time of year it was, and you look at what they were told to do for thousands of years before this happened, and at some point you come to realize, oh my goodness, Jesus was born in a sukkah. During the feast, about living in a temporary dwelling. And at some point, it gets, it gets eerily quiet in your soul because you realize that, that, that they were not just, for thousands of years, just celebrating food. They were not just celebrating water. They were celebrating Jesus, and they didn't even realize it. And you see this over and over and over again. At some point, you start to realize God has been telling us about his son, Jesus, for a very, very, very long time. And I imagine what it would have been like to be the shepherds in the field. Maybe you're singing your festival song and suddenly angels show up and they sing with you. And, it says, and then it says a multitude of angels showed up and started praising God. And, and why were they praising God? Because the festivals were true. Because the things you have been doing every single year was looking forward to this very night when this thing would be actually played out in real life. Jesus would come in the form of you sitting in a sukkah being a law-abiding Israelite. Never missed a ceremony. And so I say all this today because I kind of want you to see the meaning beneath it all. It's not about the dates, December, October. I don't really care. Maybe you should just have a second Christmas in October. Awesome. I'll give you my address. You can send me some gifts. And, and so the scriptures say that, that, the scriptures say, especially Matthew, he writes that Jesus was Emmanuel, the one told, foretold all the way back in, in, uh, in I believe it was Isaiah, where, where it says that he was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the first followers of God a long time ago, around the time of Abraham, the first followers of God, they used to think God was so far away that he was unreachable, that he was way out there. And, and then at some point, God said, well, I'm not so far away here. Build me a tabernacle, and I will dwell in your midst. I want to show you that I want to be close to you. I, I, and so they did this, and they all lived around the tabernacle. And at some point... God wanted to show them even more. He says, look, I want to get closer to you. I want to be Emmanuel. I want to be with you, where you are. I want to feel what you feel and go through what you go through and lead you out of where you are from. And so John writes this, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that word is, that word dwelt? If, if you follow it back, it's, it, it actually comes from the Hebrew word sukkah a long time ago. It means tabernacled. The word God came flat, became flesh and tabernacled, sukkahed among us. And he's connecting all of this together. And when Jesus walked the earth, it seems like he couldn't even get close enough to people when he's here in bodily form. He's always touching them and embracing them and getting close to them and, and crying and loving on them. And, and, and God can't get close enough to them. And so we tend to talk about God as if, as if he only wants our goodness, as if God would only come down and be born in a palace, which is what the Pharisees taught. And that couldn't be farther from the truth because it's, it, it begins to make us think that if, if we are not some sort of perfect holy vessel that God won't want to be with us and he'll run from us. And this could not be further from the truth because God doesn't care how filthy or dirty or perverted or sinful you are or what you have done. He wants to be with you. 
He wants to love you. He wants to be close to you. And as a matter of fact, God wants to dwell in your brokenness. This is what the sukkah is about. It's a broken, temporary shelter. It's going to fail. It's a lot like our human bodies. We're temporary kind of broken things, and we dwell inside of these. And then you start to realize another layer of what the sukkah was actually about, Jesus coming to dwell in a temporary form, which will eventually be broken and destroyed. God wants to dwell in your brokenness, in your frailty. He's a God who, who wants to tabernacle with you. He, he can't get close enough to you. And even now, you're not alone in your sadness, in your suffering, in your misery. God himself is sitting there with you in that rickety shack that you call your life. Some of you look at your life and like, I don't know what I've done with this thing. I've made a complete mess of my life. Why would God ever want to be part of my life? And God says, make room in the sukkah. I'm coming in. This is really rickety. Let's sit down. Let's talk. And this is what Jesus was doing. This is what God does. And it's fascinating um, to, to see it um, talked like this through the scriptures. And, and he's asking for you to, to, to speak to him and, to, and, and he's asking you to listen to him. As a matter of fact, God sent Jesus who, so that he could become familiar with your life, your good and your bad. And, and, and he's reminding you that, that he's been there. He's Emmanuel. He's with us. And, and God is not as far as you think he is. He's not up there looking down, trying to judge you and trying to tell you to change your life so that he can dwell in your life. He's, he says, make, a, make room. I'm, I'm coming in. And I'm going to love on you. And because I love you, you will change. I will change you. You don't need to change yourself to come to me. I will come to you and change you. This is what God does, and this is what the message of Jesus is. And some of you kind of need to know that you're not alone. Maybe you need to hear that. You're not alone. Jesus is with you in your life. You are not being ignored. He knows what you're going through, and he's with you right now. Some of you need to know that God is is not with you because you are righteous. He's with you because you are not righteous. Some of you need to know that God is not running from you because you are broken. He's asking you to make a little bit of room in there for him because he wants to dwell with you and he wants to start working in your life. You are the rickety shack. You are the sukkah, and God wants to dwell in you. He wants to dwell in your life and, and, and to help you recognize the work that he's doing all around you. And so I want to close with the thought that, that when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're here to remember that, that God is with us. No matter what that looks like, no matter how messy your life is, God is with you. And he's, and he's kind of waving at you, and he's kind of calling your name, and, and he's asking you to just turn and, and, and lend him your ear just, just for a minute. Because he, he's been where you are. He understands what you're going through, the pain and the suffering. Jesus' life was much harder than yours will ever be. So he has some words for you. And the angel's job, I think, was to make the shepherds aware of that. And so I love that. I love that they appeared to the shepherds in the field. So we take communion every single week. It's one of the most important things that, that we think we do here. And uh, uh, we, um, it, it's a time where we kind of all agree that there's a lot of things we disagree on, but if you put bread and wine in front of us, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, that, that is what unites us. We worship Jesus we love Jesus, and we unite behind the broken body and the spilled blood of Christ. And so we take some time, and, and we talk to God, and we ask him to reveal himself to us through his gospel. Um, 
And then we come on up and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the glass and we eat it and we ask God to, to show us who he is. We ask God to, to speak to us. Nothing mythical happens. Nothing mystical happens. It doesn't turn into anything. It just, it's symbolic of you asking God to put the gospel in your hand and take it down inside of you. And it's as if you're asking God, I'm taking the gospel down inside of me. I, I want you to have it touch the parts of my life that it has not touched yet. There's so many things that I'm holding on to that I don't want to let go of. But I need to remember that you are inside, you are there, you are with me, and you know how rickety this booth really is. And you dwell with me anyways. And so we remind ourselves of this. If you need to make something right with somebody in this room, go talk to them, take communion with them maybe, and, and, just, and, and, uh, and love on them. Um, if you need somebody to pray with, um, I, I'm just going to make a call. Um, a couple of our elders, I'm sure, will go right out those doors and be in that room over there to talk to you and pray with you. And uh, if you need to stick around and talk about Jesus, I'll be sitting right here, and, and we can talk all night. And um, so we're going to take some time, and, and if you're not comfortable taking communion, don't worry about it. Just hang out and uh, observe if you'd like. If you're not a follower of Christ, I, I would ask that you don't take communion because you don't fully know what it is. You don't understand what the sacredness of it is. If you are a follower of Christ or you would like to become a follower of Christ, you don't have to be a member of our church. Come and take communion with us. Please do. We would love that, and we want to talk to you um, if you've made any kind of decision towards Christ today. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you are doing in our midst. We thank you for noticing our brokenness and, and putting your hand on our shoulder and saying, it's okay. I was broken too, and my brokenness was for you. And remind us of what all of this means that you can't get close enough to us, that you see exactly where we are and you come anyways to dwell in our midst. Thank you, God, for everything you do for us. Be with us now as we enter into a time of communion. May this be the start of a joyous season. May we be able to relax and kick off all the stresses of all of this and be able to realize that you didn't come here um, for us to give these fancy rich gifts to each other and to spend all our money. You, you came to show us that you will enter into our poverty and that's more than just money. That's our spiritual poverty. It's our emotional poverty, our physical poverty. Thank you, God. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Take some time and uh, talk to Jesus this morning.